Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer. I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ, and I'd like to begin this episode by turning to the third chapter of the book of Acts, where we will be looking at verses 1 through 10. Over the years, I have had a number of opportunities to use this passage in my discussions with people as an example of a miracle of healing taking place where the one being healed did not have faith in Jesus Christ prior to the actual healing. As a matter of fact, there is no indication whatsoever that the one being healed had ever heard of our Lord Jesus. But there's so much more in this passage, lessons we all can learn and from which we can profit. So with that in mind, Let's look now at Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. The Bible tells us, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. But when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, Look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap he stood upright and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. What I do have, I give to you. What a wonderful statement, and that's what we're going to call this lesson today. My friends, no Christian can isolate himself or herself from the Lord, and it is not the Lord's wish or desire that we should. In John chapter 17 verses 14 and 15, as Jesus was praying that beautiful prayer to his Father, he said, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. We are physically in the world, and as Christians we are living representatives of our Lord. It is unthinkable, therefore, that a Christian can be in the world and not be a blessing to it. As disciples of Christ, we must seek to do good to those around us, and I believe the principle set forth in Acts 3, verses 1 through 10, provides us with instruction as to how to go about it. In that passage, there are five main things that I would like for us to notice. First is the beggar, sitting at the gate of the temple called Beautiful. 
That gate was described by Josephus, a Jewish historian of the time, as being made of Corinthian brass, 50 cubits high and 40 cubits wide. For us to better understand, that is approximately 75 feet high and 60 feet wide. It was covered with plates of gold and of silver that were much thicker than were the plates that adorned the other gates, and it makes for a very interesting contrast. There was that gate, covered with the riches of the world, gold and silver, and lying before it was the beggar, the absolute bottom of the socioeconomic scale. That beggar was a real, live, historical figure. But it is also possible to say that he can represent something that is ever-present, those in need. We have all watched the news, we've seen starving people, and we have probably all encountered on downtown streets those who are homeless and begging for money or food. We have all seen and known people with very real, physical, material needs. But man's needs are not solely material in nature. If the truth be known, the man's most important needs are not physical in nature, and to think that they are is a terrible mistake. Man needs other things even more, such as human sympathy, encouragement, love, and most importantly of all, he needs to know the way of salvation. He needs to know what to do to put himself in a right relationship with God. Now let's notice something else about that passage. Peter and John were standing at the door of opportunity. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 8, we see a somewhat similar circumstance. There we read, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut, because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Literally speaking, the Lord had given, he had set before the church in Philadelphia an open door of opportunity. This door was the Lord's gift to his people in that city. The point is, all opportunities for service are a gracious gift from God. Looking at it in that way will help us to fulfill the teaching of Galatians 6.10, where Paul wrote, So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. One more point that I think is appropriate to mention is that Peter and John's opportunity came to them at the hour of prayer. That's a good example for us and a reminder of the importance of prayer in our lives. I believe without doubt that the scriptures teach that prayer will open doors of opportunity. Listen to Colossians chapter 4 and verse 3 where Paul wrote, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been in prison. The third point I would like for us to notice from Acts 3 are the first words of Peter as he fastened his eyes upon that crippled beggar. Peter said, look at us. In effect, Peter was saying, look on us as representatives of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Peter's words fit the message of Jesus so completely. Peter was also saying to that man, look at us for a means of help. Christians are to offer practical ways of assistance to those who are in need.
It doesn't do much good to offer words of sympathy to those in need and to stop at that when we have it within our means to help them in a practical way. You remember the words of James in James chapter 2 verses 14 through 18? He wrote, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has not works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. We, through our good works in, in the Lord, will shine forth as a light glorifying our Father in heaven. The fourth thing I want us to notice are the very next words of Peter in Acts 3. He said, I do not possess silver and gold. But now let's consider that. There are some things a great deal more valuable than money. Silver and gold are only worth the things that they will purchase, nothing more and many times a great deal less. Money cannot purchase health, happiness, and most importantly, it cannot purchase acceptance with God. Most of us here today listening on this radio program would be much like Peter and John in the sense that we do not possess great amounts of silver and gold, although we must gratefully acknowledge that we are all abundantly blessed. Certainly none of us are so destitute that we cannot give what I do have. Not having silver or gold, what are some of the things that Peter and John gave to that man lying at the gate of the temple? Well, obviously, they gave him his health and his ability to walk that he had not had up to that time. They gave the man, through the Lord Jesus, the opportunity to walk, something most of us take for granted, but something that he had not had the chance to enjoy. That was wonderful, but they gave him so much more. They gave that man hope. Here was an adult, above 40 years, lame from his mother's womb, whose existence consisted of laying daily at the gate of the temple to beg from those entering in. That man had probably never expected to do or to be anything other than a crippled beggar, but through their kindness he could now do the things that other men could do. What a blessing! But there was still more. They gave that man an awareness of the power of God. He laid there at the gate of the temple every day, but now he really knew the power of God. Upon being healed, that man got up and went into the temple with them, something he had never been able to do before. Now he is walking, leaping, and praising God. What excitement! But there was still more. They gave that man love. Some people had the talent, if we can call it that, of giving help, offering assistance, and being able to do it without love. They seem to want more than anything that the person they are helping, as well as everybody else, remember that they were the ones to give the assistance. A gift without the love of the giver is hardly a gift at all. It is little more than a loan. Love is what motivated Peter and John. Love for the Lord and love for the crippled man. The fifth and final thing that I want us to notice from the entire passage are the results that followed the action of Peter and John. We have already briefly noticed the reaction of the beggar, but let's notice it again from Acts chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. 
we are told, and seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap he stood upright and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. What a glorious picture is thus presented. Here was this man crippled from birth, now fully healed. He is walking, indeed he is leaping, and all the while giving the glory to its rightful owner. The man was praising God all the while. Then there was the effect on the multitude. Verses 9 and 10 tell us, And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they were taking note of him as the one who used to be sitting at the beautiful sea gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Immediately following this, Peter delivered a powerful sermon. And as we move over to chapter 4 of the book of Acts, in verse 4, we see the ultimate results. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. Isn't it obvious that for the kingdom of God to be enlarged as God has designed it, it is necessary for the Lord's people to use what they have, to give what they have, and to do as, as such as they can do? This has always been the case. Moses, with the slow speech and the slow tongue, through his faith in God, used that which he had. Jesus fed the multitude with the things that they had, the five barley loaves and two small fish. The poor widow in Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44, gave what she had. Look at the account in Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. It tells us, And he sat down opposite the treasury, and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury, and many rich people were putting in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury, for they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all that she had to live on. What I have, I give to you. We all do not have the same things, but we all have something. Some can speak well and comfortably before a Bible class or an auditorium filled with people, and they should do that. Others are particularly good with their hands, and there is much service of that nature to be rendered. All of us can use the phone, write a card, type a letter or email to encourage Lift up those who are down or invite someone to study and come to the services of the Lord's Church. Each of us has the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ within our grasp, and it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greeks. What I do have, I give you. It reminds me of Paul's statement in Romans chapter 1, verses 14 through 15, when he wrote, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So, for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. In other words, Paul was ready and eager to give all that he had. We should be just as ready and just as eager to give all that we have as well. Thanks for listening.